Let's go to John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Now, as we read in the, in the, chap, in the 13th chapter of John, this is where Jesus is having the Last Supper with his disciples. Um, he's on the precipice of moving into the most devastating moments of his life. He's about to be imprisoned, convicted of heinous crimes that he did not commit, and about to be crucified for the sins of the world, literally. Amen? And he's sitting with his disciples at the supper table. Um, he had just sent Judas Iscariot out to go begin planning and uh, working towards uh, having Jesus imprisoned. Um, and he warns them that he would not be with them much longer. And he says to them, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Amen. Amen. Now, I just want to start off by saying anybody that's given their life to the Lord Jesus Christ or received his free gift of salvation, you are a disciple. Amen. You have come into the fold of what these men had become after traveling with Jesus for three years. Do we all understand that today? If you call yourself a Christian, understand you are also saying that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's what you be, should be living. That's what you should be breathing. That's what you should be doing day in and day out. Concentrating, focusing on becoming an effective disciple, a witness. Hallelujah. For the kingdom of heaven. That night he had done something none of the disciples had ever expected him to do. He washed their feet. This is a crazy thing. This is an unprecedented thing that Jesus did. He washed their feet. Remember, the disciples traveled with him and he was the rabbi. He was the teacher. He was their master, literally. And they traveled with him. Everywhere he went, they went. They slept with him. They ate with him. They went everywhere that he went. He was their master. Whatever he told them to do, they did. Amen? Amen. Praise God. An unprecedented action. Um, not only was it highly irregular that a rabbi, teacher, or man of God would ever do such a thing, it was completely unheard of. And there are, I suppose, many different perspectives on why he did this, right? A lot of people get into some deep theological thought about the whole meaning of it. And, but see, I like to think of things simply. I'm a simple guy, so it helps me to think of the gospel and, and of, of the Bible as a simple thing that I can digest easily, right? And sometimes you want to get a little deep, but I believe he just did this simply to just show that he was, um, he was just doing it to be an example, to show his servitude to them, that he was the servant of them, that he was their friend. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Um, loving one another, Jesus style. Now, he started this off by saying, I give you a new commandment. So you might be thinking, wait, new commandment. Loving one another is a new commandment? Is that a new commandment? Well, 
If we go to Leviticus 19.18, let's go to Leviticus 19.18 real quick. And this is the passage where we're all most uh, familiar with and we probably use to demonstrate how we're supposed to love one another, right? It says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of, my, of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Right? So if I said to you, a new commandment, right? Jesus said this is a new commandment, love one another. Well, you know, didn't God say love thy neighbor? Well, it's interesting because um, me loving my neighbor could mean a very different thing from you loving your neighbor. Right? If you have a hundred different people and you ask them, what does it mean to love your neighbor? There are many different ways that you can love someone. Many ways that you think love is supposed to be given. Right? But what Jesus did was he said, love one another as I have loved you. Well, that changes everything. Because he gives us a very distinct example of how we should love one another. Right? Matter of fact, he made sure that it was all written down so that we would have it 2,000 years later so that there would not be any confusion as to how we were love, supposed to love one another. Because I might think that uh, loving Elder Ross is hooking him up with a new pair of shoes or a new pair of socks or a hug. Right? Lourdes might think loving Elder Ross is helping him out with a haircut or saying a kind word. Different things. I know a little bit silly in you know, the analogy, but um, Jesus loved unconditionally. Amen. He showed love by walking up to people, laying hands on them and healing them. He showed love by multiplying fish and loaves of bread. He showed love by teaching on the kingdom and directing people towards salvation, helping them understand how to get there and how to be with him. Speaking to people about who they were designed to be originally instead of what they thought of themselves. And his final act of love was allowing himself to be nailed to a rugged cross to die for our sins. Now, Jesus obviously doesn't expect us to be nailed on the cross. His final... Uh, sacrifice was the final and ultimate sacrifice for all sin. We don't have to do that again. It's a done deal. Everybody say it's a done deal. Done deal. We win. Amen. We win. Because of that one simple act of sacrifice on the part of our Lord and Savior. So loving your neighbor and loving your brother as Jesus loved your brother can be two totally different things. Hallelujah. Interesting. I, I had a conversation with Minister Magdalia yesterday in the park. We had this amazing discussion. She's like wicked smart. Blows me away. She said that she was studying love and that there were five different kinds of love. It's an interesting thing because people naturally gravitate towards maybe one or two types of love. Right? And then... The type of love that they feel that they should give, they feel they should also receive. So I think one of them was touch, right? People show love through touch. And generally people are kind of, they gravitate towards that area and they kind of stay in that area. They show love by going, hey man, they put their hand on the shoulder or 
hug or a kiss on the cheek. But then they kind of expect that back. And that, that's their form of love. Right? That's how, they, that's how they feel loved. Because they give that particular type of love. When they get it back, they feel loved. Because that's what they deem as love in their brain. Right? Am I getting that right? But I am not prepared to explain that whole thing to you. I'll let Minister Migdalia do that another day. I just wanted to say that to make a point. Um, people can be, feel very frustrated when they don't feel loved, right? Now, I was thinking, and, um, well, just, honestly, that makes love a lot more complicated now, doesn't it? Right? All, all the while you thought you were loving your spouse, all this time, however many years of marriage, you thought you were loving your spouse the right way, and all of a sudden you realize that they were looking for an, a different form of love, and you realize that you're missing the mark. So that makes things a lot more complicated, right? Well, I'm not here to make it complicated for you. The thing is, is in thinking about that, the way Jesus loved is so all-inclusive that it fulfills all five of those different types of love. If you, if you really think about how he demonstrated, and again, I'm not here to talk about that. It blew my mind um, when I realized that Jesus' love encompassed all of the types. And Jesus fleshed it out, leaving behind the ultimate example of love in his word for the church to see and replicate. To see, or rather read, and replicate that love. Why? Why? Because the world is looking for the evidence. He said... When you love one another the way I loved you, the world will see it and know that you are my disciples. So Jesus gave us the ultimate example of love so that we could see it, study it, and replicate it. Do it the way he did it. Is it easy to do? Absolutely not. On the night of the Last Supper, Jesus knows his time is short and shares his heart with his disciples, explaining that loving one another was the key ingredient for the world to authenticate who they were as his disciples. But not just love one another, it was important that they love each other the way he loved them. In seeing the evidence of love for one another, the world would authenticate, number one, their identity, loving one another the way Jesus loved them, authenticates their identity as his disciples and it also authenticates their mission to bring the real deal gospel to the world. Amen? See, because the world knows. They know. They, you know, even though a lot of people go to church, they know what, you know, church folk are supposed to act like and they'll let you know right quick. It definitely ups the ante. People start watching you, man. Once they know you're a Christian, they're watching you. Once you tell them that you got born again, you got baptized, you're reading the Bible now, they watch very closely. They watch with a very critical eye. They listen with a very critical ear to make sure that you're the real deal. And if you're not the real deal, they will let you know. Amen? Amen. When I first came to the Lord, there were a number of things that some guys caught me on. I was working in a paint factory, and everybody had a foul mouth. And it was terrible. Once in a while, I'd slip. Oh! My nickname was Baby Jesus, by the way. <laughs> that was my nickname when I first got saved at my job. 
And they noticed the change, but, you know, they were, they were watching me very closely. And they would call me Baby Jesus. It was fun. <laughs> it was fun. But that's minimal compared to what the rest of the world is experiencing today. Amen? And uh, understanding, authenticating your identity and authenticating your mission are both highly important. Uh, see, even in the disciples' day, after Jesus was gone, there were a number of imposters preaching a different gospel. Amen? Let's go to, let's go to uh, Galatians 1.8. Galatians 1.8. The apostle writes, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. There's even a part, I believe it's another epistle, where he says, don't even greet them. Don't even say hi. Don't open the door. Stay away. There are a lot of imposters that can dupe you. Amen? So people are looking for the real thing. And when they're ready, if you're the real thing, they'll come looking for you. Amen? Somebody say amen. amen. Somebody say praise God. praise God. Somebody say, I am the real thing. Today in CCF, Calvary Christian Fellowship, if we love one another as Jesus loves us, now Jesus did say if, right? If you love one another as I have loved, because we have a choice, right? Love is a choice. Amen? Love is a choice. Some of us love our family members. Sometimes it's very difficult to love our family members. <laughs> Somebody somebody was feeling that. Somebody felt that deep inside and got a vivid image of that person in their family that just drive them bananas and they said, mm. right? Somebody felt that one in their gut. All right? I know somebody did. If you did, say amen. amen. All right. If we love each other that way, it will not only identify us as his disciples, but it will solidify our effectiveness as the church in carrying out our mission, which is to do what? Restore. Restore. God to man. We were designed for him, right? We need to love each other Jesus style because we're chosen. Who understands that today? You're chosen. If you're here, you're chosen. If you showed up today, it's not because you just woke up this morning. And said, I'm going to go to church. No, it's because God puts it inside of you. He put it in there. You woke up this morning and said, I purpose to be at church today. I got to get there because I got to get something from God. I need God. I got to give to God and I need something from him today. John 15, 9 through 7 says, As the Father loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands... You will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made complete. That your joy may be complete. Sorry. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Now, this is just a couple of chapters away, two, two verses away. Uh, two chapters away, I'm sorry. And he reiterates the point again, but this time he gives a little bit more of an explanation. But check this part out. Um, 16 said you did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit 
fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Now somebody might be thinking, what the heck is bear fruit? Is that what they feed the bears at the zoo? Let's talk about that for a second. There's no such thing as bear fruit. But bearing fruit, Jesus used the analogy of the harvest. He used the, the analogy of a tree, right? Um, fields growing a harvest, collecting the harvest. And he identified the harvest with the people. Us, that he wanted to bring back to himself, that he wanted to restore back to himself, right? So bearing fruit means simply multiplying yourself, bringing others to the understanding of who God is and who Jesus is and what Jesus did for them and to bring them to salvation. Anybody in agreement? Anybody getting that? To bear fruit and fruit that remains, right? So we are to love one another the way he loved us so that we can, so that makes us chosen. So now we are supposed to bear fruit. We're supposed to multiply ourselves. We're supposed to bring others into the fold and so that they can stay in, right? Minister Al, somebody, somebody shared uh, the gospel with you at one point, right? Amen. How did you come to the saving grace of the gospel? But somebody shared the gospel with you. Amen. How many others have a similar testimony? A lot of us, right? Somebody shared the gospel. Somebody brought it, brought the case for Christ to someone else. And how long have you been serving God now? 1988. But that's a long time, right? He's fruit that remained, right? Now, how does that happen? How do we learn how to bear fruit? We study the word of God. We have a relationship with God, we pray, and we mature. When we mature, as we begin to mature, we start becoming more effective in bringing people in, right? Now, interestingly enough, immaturity sometimes bears a different kind of fruit, right? So we don't want to remain immature in the understanding of the Word of God, right? We're chosen, and we're chosen to bear fruit, Um. Immaturity sometimes produces another kind of fruit. Often we are spared by the grace of God, but sometimes we cause irreversible damage through our immaturity. Something else uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not prepared to expound on today. Um, I simply finish that thought by saying, the world is looking for the evidence. For the evidence. All right, let us quickly look at the apostles' letter to the Corinthian church and what his definition of Jesus' style love is. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. And every one of us should know this one. If you've been to my house, you definitely know this one. Because I have this coffee mug that has it right on there. And I'm always drinking coffee. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. That's a good one. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. 
Now, do you think the apostle had a, had a good grasp of what this Jesus love style was all about? Right? Love is patient. Extend grace where it is possible. Show some grace to somebody. Be understanding. Take your time. Relax. Understand that we're all human. Make sure you don't put unreal expectations on other people that they can't fulfill, especially if you don't tell them what you expect of them. Because you'll jack yourself up and you'll jack that person up. You'll get very frustrated. And they'll be frustrated because you're frustrated and nobody will understand why. And yes, you can be kind as a resident of New York City. I know generally we're nasty people in New York, especially if you drive or on the bus and the train. Folks are nasty. And you know, it's interesting because that's kind of the culture in New York City. Right? I know you're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Folks are nasty. And you know what? We're kind of trained to be that way. If somebody says good morning to another on the train and he's got his Bialy and his paper under his, under his armpit and a coffee and he's just trying to get to the train as fast as possible because he's late. He's got to get there quick, quick, quick. And, and you stop and you say, good morning. You get the nasty face. You talking to me? They don't reply with a good morning and a smile. They actually get shocked. They're surprised. Why? <laughs> yeah, they look at you like you're crazy. New York City is very interesting. If you, ever, <laughs> if you ever travel out of New York City, right, you drive, over, you drive over the GW Bridge, you get to the GW Bridge, like everywhere, everybody's rude. You get over the GW Bridge, once you pass that point, all of those little tolls that you pay, if you say good morning or you say something nice, they respond nicely, right? It's like you're in a different world, in a different country. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, indeed it is, right? You travel down south, Maine, Delaware, Nashville, Tennessee, go to the west side, and people are generally nice. They respond kindly. And then you're driving back, and it's nice, and it's nice, and it's nice. You get to the GW, good morning. Right? You know I'm not lying. I've seen it a million times. I used to play with a band. We used to travel a lot. I'd have to drive across that bridge all the time. Unreal. We're cultured to be nasty. Even me, I'm nasty sometimes. Does not envy. Love does not envy. It does not boast. Humility is not easy. Humility is not easy. Especially for us men. We, we, we want to boast. We're, it's, it's in our nature to compete. Amen? Men, come on. Am I telling the truth? Do we love to win? Right? Do we love to win? All right. It's easy for us to get into, <laughs> to get into that mode of boasting. Love is not proud. Pride bought a one-way ticket for the devil out of heaven. Amen? It was pride. Pride comes before the fall. Oh, I'm not tempted by that sin anymore. Got that one done. I can't be tempted in that way anymore. I overcame it a long time ago. Don't be foolish. Don't get prideful. You didn't overcome it on your own. 
And if you let down your guard thinking you got it covered, you're looking for trouble. We were talking about familiar spirits yesterday. They hang out with you, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait, and they see that little opening. Oh, by the way, remember how good weed made you feel? Yeah, it'd make you feel real good right now, wouldn't it? Amen. Does not dishonor others. Love does not dishonor others. Treat everybody the same. From the homeless man to Barack Obama. I know that sounds crazy, but I have this, I have this own personal thing where I try to treat everybody the same. I treat everybody with the same amount of respect, whether I think they hold a place of high stature or of low regard. doesn't matter to me. I treat everybody with the same respect. And it helps because then you don't have to remember who you were for individual people and then try to make it up. And, you know, next time you see him, it's like, wow, what role did I play for this guy? Right? <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Same thing with lies. Don't tell them. You don't have to remember anything. Praise God. Love is not self-seeking. When you love like Jesus, your agenda is always his. Your agenda is always his agenda. You're always worried about doing what he wants done. Amen. When you love like him. Amen. Um, love is not easily angered. Hallelujah. Avoid personality pitfalls. Now, this is talking within the church, amongst us, loving one another. My, my definition of a personality pitfall is when you're serving with someone and you know them and you hang out with them and you, you, know, you get to know them and you realize a couple of little quirks about their personality that kind of just make you annoyed. And whenever you touch this area, oh, I just hate that about this guy. Minister Tony does not answer emails. God, what is wrong with this dude? Very simple. Don't be sending Brother Tony no emails. Avoid that area. Amen. Avoid the personality pitfalls. When you start to learn the character, appreciate the good parts. Try to ignore the junk. When you start to see the junk, just kind of walk away. Use it as, as an opportunity to kind of say, hey, man, you know, by the way, you notice how you get like such and such and so and so when I mention this or when we go here or we do that that kind of I realize that, that that part of you it, it rubs it me the wrong way and I'd really like to fix it but if we can't fix it I'll just avoid that and then avoid it because we have it's we're a family you know when you were growing up with your brothers and sisters and they got on your nerves were you able to just walk up to mom and dad and say listen He's got to move out. <laughs> Give him to the neighbor. He's really irritating, Ma. I can't take it. He cannot keep his hands off my Cheetos. Just send him across the hall. He doesn't have to live here, right? No. And that's not how it's going to run here. We got to live with one another. Listen, if you're here, you're chosen. And if you're chosen, if you're called to be here, then we got to get along. Can't we all just try to avoid the parts about the personalities that we just, you know, they just annoy us. So we just stay away from it. Don't touch that area. If you know that asking a particular thing of a person is going to just wind up having you guys bump heads, don't ask. Amen. Stay away from that area. And then celebrate the good parts about the person. Celebrate them and make them feel, them loved. Make them feel loved. Amen?
keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. I'll forgive, but I will never forget. How many times have we heard that? How many times have we said that? That's not right. Is that the way Jesus loves us? Does he, does he have like a little record book that he keeps and he hangs over our head? And the interesting thing about our humanity is, is that we want to use that little card every so once in a while. Right? Yeah, I love you, brother, but remember that time you did this and that? And yeah. It's jacked up, right? Mm. It's a powerful thing to have, right? Powerful thing to use. It's a bad thing to use. Because every time you use it, you cut them. You bring them back to that place. Does Jesus do that to us? No. He forgives and he forgets it all. Gone, done, no mas. Amen. Does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Oh, he messed up. Mm -hmm. I'm going to let him have it now. Iron sharpens iron, and I'm going to sharpen that iron. <laughs> Come on. Stop it. Rejoice in the truth. If you see something wrong, listen, man. Um, I love you. And I want to just kind of bring this to your attention as you might not have realized. I'm not perfect. I'm jacked up. I'm struggling. I'm, you know, God is working with me. But this is something that I see and I want to bring it to you. And I want to, I want to just give you the truth so that we can rejoice and work through it and, and try to become better together. I'm not saying it because I want to criticize you. I want to say it because the truth will set you free, will make you free. Rejoice in the truth. Rejoice in the truth of the gospel. Hallelujah. Always protect. Protect one another at all costs. Make sure you're watching your brothers and your sisters back. Don't let your brothers and your sisters fall into the devil's booby traps. If you see them heading the wrong way, let them know. Say something. Just like in the city, our police officers, if you see something, say something. It's dangerous. You know, the devil, the devil likes to put temptation in our way. And sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes we're blinded to certain things. And sometimes God will use our brothers and our sisters. Sometimes God will use you to see something. And sometimes it'll be for you to pray for that person about it. And sometimes it'll be for you to say something about it. And even still, you should preclude it with prayer before you say something about it. Amen? Say something. Hey, man, I see this dude you're hanging out with. I get this gut feeling that is bad news. I've, you know, I've, I've seen his personality and his character. I've, I've never met this guy, but I've known this guy for many years. I've seen him several times, and I know that when this happens, it always winds up here. So I'm just letting you know, and I'm praying. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, we'll move on. Always trusts. Believe in one another. Trust in your brother's and your sister's gifting. And even more importantly, operate in your own gifting. In the church, sometimes we can get frustrated because we're trying to operate outside of our own giftings. Right? Sometimes we want to do it all. But we can't. That's why God gave different gifts. And, you know, most of us don't have all, have all of them. Right? 
But that's the whole reason. Because this job is for this guy. This job is for this girl. Operate in your own gifting and trust that what God has deposited in your brother or your sister is the genuine article and let them do what God has designed them to do freely without oppressing them. Amen. Somebody hearing me this morning? Love always hopes. Don't set yourself or anyone else up for failure by losing hope in them or yourself or for the things of God. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Hope. Hope. And last but not least, always perseveres. Love always perseveres. Never stop loving. A tiny little itsy-bitsy seed of bitterness can grow very quickly. Now again, I'm not addressing the unsaved or people that are here for the very first time. I'm talking about church folk. Folks that understand God and how this whole thing works. Folks that have the clap just right. Folks that have the tie just right. Folks that have the suit just right. Folks that come on time and know all of the, all of the protocol and the detail of the service. And they know the right words to say, all of the Christianese, all of the catchphrases. Careful not to let seeds of bitterness and seeds of discord and seeds of envy and strife come inside because they'll start to grow. Don't stop loving. You could push all of that junk out by simply loving more. Amen? I'm mad at this brother, but I'm just going to love him hard. I'm going to love on him real hard. I'm going to just call him every day this week even though he disrespected me and my family, you know what? That's not what's important. What's important is that he comes back to church and he knows that I forgive him. Amen? Love the unconditional love of Jesus Christ until the day you die so you can hear those wonderful words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant, on that great and glorious day. Church, let's remember that the world is looking for the evidence of Jesus' love in our lives in our lives not in Chuck Stanley's life or T.D. Jake's life in our life if we love one another the way Jesus loved us that will automatically cause people to look at us and say oh wow I feel that there's, there's something that's real about that there's something that's right it attracts me the way they love one another how would you feel if you walked into a church when everybody's treating each other jacked up you want to go there? No. You don't want to go there. You see people arguing as soon as you walk into the sanctuary. You see the deacons kind of shoving each other around with angry faces. You want to go there? No. I'd do an 80, 180, and just turn around and walk right back out. My response would be, these people are tripping. I'm out. That's not the love of Jesus. The love, the love of Jesus spit into some dirt, made some mud, stuck the mud into the eye sockets, and eyes came about. The love of Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Hmm. I wonder if we might be able to say that to somebody this week, say that about somebody. You know that boss that drives you crazy? You know that, that person 
on the bus that sits next to you every day and buys the really large newspaper and they don't know how to fold it up the right way and it's over on your lap or the dude with bad breath that falls asleep and drools on your shoulder. <laughs> I wonder how many of us can say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He doesn't know. Or that man that that's walking down the street drunk and, and as he's walking by says something real nasty to you or curses at you. Are you going to say, Father, let that dude burn in hellfire. Get him away from me. It's worthless, useless. Or are you going to stop and say, Jesus, have mercy on that man. Father, I forgive him, and I pray that you forgive him because he doesn't even know what he's doing. He's messed up in his thinking right now. In his heart, he probably doesn't have any love. Father, I pray that you would show him your love today. I pray that you would just embrace him with the the loving presence of your Holy Spirit. Let him come to know you in the fullness of salvation today, Lord. I know that last part was a little bit rough, but it's real. (laughs) 